I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Hello and welcome to this episode of Bellwether Hub. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we have a very exciting guest to talk about something that I think is is extremely, extremely interesting. Especially if you are a parent, you are going to find this in my, you know, what I think uh, it's fascinating to me what what this guy is doing and what this guy is researching and and all this stuff. We have Jerry Reynolds with us. Jerry is a social worker. Um, but he's doing research in uh, a very different, never in a way that I've ever thought of, of social work, where he, he's really focused on the relationship of parents and children in relation to sports. And it's very specific. It's I'm not even going to give it justice by giving it a proper introduction, which is why we have guests and they're able to talk about their stuff with expertise. Uh, so with that being said, I just want to jump right into it and introduce Jerry. Jerry, welcome to Bellwether Hub. Thank you for giving us your time. Thanks, James. Very happy to be here. Uh, Jerry, tell us a little bit about you, what you're working on, why social work, all that good stuff. Sure. Well, I am a fourth year PhD candidate at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And my area of interest in research is focused on the intersection of youth sports and parent behavior. It seems as though nationally there's been sort of this uh, challenge that, you know, you talk about issues with sports and it's always about the parents. But there's never really anyone that's kind of looked in to see, you know, what what can we do to help parents? What can we do to help them make decisions? How can we help them? Uh, re- what really is informing the parent experience? And basically my research is going to look at, continue to look at how adverse childhood experiences, better known as ACEs, how they affect parent behavior in the context of sports. And really my goal is to design interventions to work with parents So basically, we can maximize the sports experience of young people uh, because we know um, just there's this increasing level of professionalization of youth sports and increased seriousness and challenges with funding, all kinds of various issues. But the bottom line is, if you look at the parent experience, you can that parent experience immediately translates over to the children and informs the child's experience. So basically trying to not only make sure that there's a good experience for all involved, but the family at large. So when you when you talk about the parental experience of child sports, now when I think of, you know, you hear about parents at a Little League game, parents at a soccer game. I've been, my nephew plays soccer. I've seen parents go toe-to-toe. Are you talking about these these parents who just kind of flip? and uh, are screaming at, you know, the, the field? Or are you just trying to make it, you know, you've got six kids and you have to bring them to a bunch of different sports areas and, and you know, how are you managing your time? What, what kind of, when you talk about a parental experience of child sports, what, what are you talking about? I think I'm talking about both of those, actually. Um, really, I'm looking at what is causing those aggressive behaviors um, and that are sometimes, unfortunately, turning violent. 
But also one of the things that I'm looking at too is what's, what's the parent's level of knowledge about how to be a sports parent? I mean, there are some authors um, and scholars that have done some research about what are some important skills for parents to have, like how do you select an appropriate sport for your child? Uh, how does there, how does the, de- the developmental approach of that particular program, how does that align with appropriate youth development and helping them grow? But also one of the things that keeps popping up in the literature more and more is about how f- sports is really a family experience and how can you increase the level of satisfaction that families have was in, in a sports context, what's, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And really how can we empower parents to make the best decisions and, and, and honestly to make better choices with regard to the behavior when necessary. Cause the bottom line is most parents, they do what's right. Um, but at the same time, there are some parents who are a little bit out of control. And I think a lot of that is, is linked to just not knowing what to do or based on examples of what they've seen in the past and how that's what they think is appropriate. But unfortunately what's happening nationally is there's some, there's a couple major crises going on that are resulting largely from parent behavior. First of all, kids are reporting over and over again that sports are not fun anymore. And number two there's actually a shortage at the high school level and increasingly probably we'll start seeing this at the recreational level, a shortage of referees. And the major reason that referees are citing as the problem are parent, is parent behavior um, for the reasons uh, for, for quitting officiating. I think in Louisiana alone, I think we have about 80% of high school officials are creating, are dropping out within three years of starting officiating. So you, so basically, it's creating an environment where contests are not able to happen without a referee. And then third, on a national level, about 70% of kids are dropping out of sports by the time that they're 12. And what happens is that, yes, students may not or children may not play uh, formal sports. But the reality is, is that the earlier that they drop out, the likely, the less likely they are to play sport as an play sports activities across their lifespan. And that affects health outcomes, uh, physical activity, things like that. So there's a lot of levels to which we can really look at this, this challenge. So there, so there are, and I, I want to go into each of those because I, I feel like it would affect, uh, and obviously it does affect kids in, in multiple different ways, but I feel like this also has implications beyond sports. Okay. When I yes, think of, does. you know, how, how to select a, a sport for my two-year-old, Right, I'm going to throw a soccer ball in, in her hands and hope that she enjoys it. But I, I also feel like it would be, you know, do you put a chessboard in front of them? Do you put, um, you know, whether they want to study art or, or dancing or, or, I mean, I guess you could say dancing is kind of a sport. But there are, you know, less competitive activities as well. Would your research yes. impact that, those sorts of things too? Or is this really just around the idea of competition? Um, I think it's kind of a broader scope, but also kind of finding what's appropriate because some of the readings that I've, I've reading I've done is it actually shows that kids really before the age of six cognitively have trouble grasping the ideas of a team sport um, in general. So I'm not saying don't put your kid in a sport before the age of six. I mean, that's really a, a choice as to how they're motivated and things like that. 
But I mean, the, the natural inclination for many parents is, oh, I'm going to start them as soon as I can, um, you know, get them involved. But that's not always the right answer based on your children and, you know, their ability to grasp the concepts. I mean, and I think sometimes parents get frustrated because maybe their kid doesn't perform the way they are grasp the concepts, the way that they expect them to. And that can be a strain on the family because the family's invested some money and time and energy and there's expectations and yet there's frustration that ensues. And then the kid may just not want, I mean, a kid at four or five may decide, oh, this isn't for me. When in reality, if they, maybe they had waited a couple years to deal with the children and how, or just a more appropriate setting or a time period, maybe they would have a better result. Um, so I, and I think the big thing too, is that really from about ages six to 12, young people should really be involved in what's called sampling of sports. They should, in activities, they should just try different things, um, and really take that approach rather than a sort of a specializing approach where, which you see increasingly at younger ages where kids will play a sport year round, um, or just one sport, because it's assumed that the more repetitions they get, the better they're going to be at a particular sport. But with sampling, not only cognitively are they being stretched differently in, learn, in terms of learning different sports and different activities, but at the same time, they're learning the different physical skills that go along with each sport in the movement. I mean, for instance, for within soccer, as an example, the most important thing that a young person can do to learn the sport of soccer is increase the number of touches they have on the ball. So that's why you see, as an example, you don't see big kids playing with or little kids playing with big goals and long fields, the size of older kids. It's because they want to increase the amount of touches and interaction touches on the ball, but also interaction between young people and to learn, to learn the game. And that's really what, as an example, is a first step. Whereas, you know, it's not about tactics and strategy. It's just really about, okay, let's touch, let's get the touches on the ball and what's going to make it fun and, and enjoyable for everybody. You said something a minute ago about um, investment. And yeah. I feel like this is big with sports today, especially ironically with soccer, where soccer is um, just, it's the sport for around the world. It's a sport where anybody, you just grab a ball and anybody could play with it. But it's become extremely yes. expensive with camps and, you know, how do you get scholarship? And, you know, do we have to blame college for this, that parents are now seeing sports for their children as an as a, a major investment and they're they're taking that pressure and pushing it down on kids? I'm not really an expert in that, but I will say that what I what one thing I can say is that. What you Typically, you'll see those folks who regard this as an investment in sort of upper income brackets um, versus lower income brackets because there's actually some access issues like in sports. Like a lower income child actually is known to start a sport about two years later than somebody who's um, middle class, upper, upper middle class or wealthy. And so you're seeing a disparity in income. But also, in terms of family stress, the greater percentage of a family income that's um, invested in sports, 
the greater amount of pressure the child actually experiences to perform. So a family may have a fair amount of disposable income, but at the same time, the more it is as a percentage of that family's income, the greater there is expectations associated with that of performance and, um, you know, pressure, those kind of things and doing quote unquote, what, what it takes to get a college scholarship. So would you say then, I mean, the pressure then for a a middle-class family or, or a a child in a middle-class family is almost keeping up with the Joneses where you have to say, I, I have an obligation to get a, a scholarship where a scholarship question or conversation isn't really happening in a lower income bracket because they may not even have uh, college on their on their on their horizon, you know. I I talk to people all the time talking about my two year old. Put a golf club in her hands because then she can get a golf scholarship. It's an easier one to get than something in soccer or softball or lacrosse. Uh, people yeah. are already talking about college scholarships, and really, sports is not really an, an an enjoyment aspect. It's a means to pay for college later down the road. Yes, that's that's one thing, but it's also I, I think sometimes too people the assumption is that the more you money you invest in something, there's a greater expectation of a return. And that that's that's troubling because what I find is that there's a lot of young people who are playing in these are being sold these ideas that if they play in such and such a league that inherently that's gonna results in a scholarship. And it's really, unfortunately, what the reality is, it's about who can, in many aspects, it's about who can pay. It's not truly based on athletic ability. Which I guess is life anyway. It's, you know, who could pay for it versus merit, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think that that's also unfortunately happening more and more in sports. And what's happening is that, you know, kids who may be of lower income, but are talented are getting marginalized. Why marginalized? Well, because they're they're being sh- I, I would say marginalized because they're being shut out of those types of experiences, um, largely because they don't have the ability. You, in many cases, don't have the ability to pay. And it's more difficult for a person with merit. I mean, you have to show it on the field, but who's really paying attention? Whereas yeah, exactly people coming to pay attention are coming to watch the rich kids play up in you know um, at yeah. this place or that. place. Yes. Is exactly. there so? So when you said seventy percent of children are dropping out by the age of twelve, mm-hmm. it's I mean that's right around your high school time, right? So that's correct. Uh, yes. So that's one. You're getting closer to college where you may feel more pressure. But two, is it? I mean, like any nine year old can find a team. Is it because in high school yeah. you just get cut? Well, that, but it's also that there's not really recreation. It's it's not really an acceptable practice to be recreational after a certain age. That's true. I guess you know I'm I, you that, find adult yeah. you try and find like an adult league or something like that for fun. But uh, you're right; most yeah. people don't don't do team sports as adults. Yep. How much? Um, how much of their presentation or, or participation then after the age of 12 is really driven by going back to this parent behavior, right? When you think of, you know, I've got my family who will support me at home. I've got the money to do it. Uh, do you see uh, an influx of, of 
children quitting sports because of the way that their parents are, are behaving on the sideline? Yes, that is, that's one of the contributing factors. And, and the fact that it's not quote unquote professionalized and it's not fun anymore. How bad is that? So when I, cause I feel like it's, it's, I've heard for years, you know, the crazy parents and they're putting signs up at Little League fields, you know, these yeah. are just kids, let them play their game. And especially today with social media, you know, who wants mm-hmm. to be seen as a parent, you know, losing their mind uh, at a kid's lacrosse game or football game or whatever it is. You know, how bad is it out there really? Because I don't I don't go watch well, they just did a the National Association of Sports Officials just did a study, a national study. And they found that 59% of the referees that were involved, that were members and interviewed about various topics, they actually reported they felt that sportsmanship was getting worse. Sportsmanship? So sportsmanship between the the players or among the parents? Or uh, amongst the – but collectively. And then also – um, the biggest problem they cited as far as challenges to like the sports experience and sports environment, the biggest one they cited was parent behavior. Now, about 40% of them. And that was the most common answer they gave. And what, and then the second was coach behavior, but you know, we always think of the coach losing their mind and going ballistic on the sidelines, but what the biggest threat to the integrity of sports they see is actually parent behavior. Now, Louisiana just passed a law based on parent behavior and the way the referees are treated. Yes. Tell me about that, because I feel I, to the, it, it boggles my mind that you can't let your kids enjoy a sport, and now there has to be legislation about the way the parents behave at, at a child's sporting event where you can get time in jail yeah. based on the way you treat a ref. Yeah, it's a sanction. It's actually um, punishable up to 90 days in jail, and I believe it's a $1,000 fine, up to a $1,000 fine. Um, and they leave it to the police officers to determine. And it and it does extend not only to physical abuse, but, but it also extends to verbal abuse. And, and can extend if the parent is asked to leave and they don't leave the facility. That's another thing. Um, but it also applies to any sanctioned event in the state. So that can mean like a sanctioned organization. Um, that's where it applies. And that, so that extends to youth, but also extends to high school. Um, and and, and in, in the high school realm, I've actually talked to some folks at the Louisiana High School Athletic Association about this. And what there, there was really during basketball season this last year, there was a whole slew of incidents within a five, about a month and a half period. And it would, there's several schools that are in danger of potentially getting sanctioned, losing their affiliation. They may have consequences where they don't have home games as a result. They're actually in the review process right now, kind of as we speak um, with the LHSA executive board. Um, but this new so law I remember is, when I, when yeah. I think back to high school though I remember when my high school played against our rival the cops were there everybody yep. gets amped up I mean you go to a professional uh, you go to a Saints game and you've got crazy people there you go to a Giants game or an Eagles game I mean Philadelphia yeah. fans are crazy everybody knows that um, you know is it just in in the in the field of just competition 
that people are just getting completely amped up. And now you've got, you know, your spawn on the field gets you a little uh, more amped up because you want to be protective. Is this just, is it natural? You know, I think, I think it, it can be, but at the same time, like, I think that the thing that they're seeing is just this sort of behavior that is not, that's, threatening people's safety and then it's also threatening the game the games themselves because of a lack of officials and protection of officials um so this law in louisiana is really interesting in the sense that it's really doing a lot to protect officials more and i feel that i'm interested to see how this plays out because i haven't heard anything locally about how are they going to educate folks on the issue um you know, is it truly going to go into effect next season? I mean, you know, all those different things. So I, I'm really, really interested to see kind of what the response is. And actually, I'm doing a study right now with my advisor, Dr. Cassandra Cheney. We actually are doing a qualitative analysis of the Facebook response at a, in a local media market in Louisiana, um, just to the posting of the the new law. And it's, um, I'll share more about it, at, you know, when I'm done writing the article but it's incredible how it's resulted in these, um, you know, rants about the officials should just do their jobs. Um, the government shouldn't be involved. Um, you know, parents need to get control of their kids. I mean, just just very, very interesting responses that have been evoked when the bottom line is that. And then there's some people who've chimed in and in the, the responses and said, well, my cousin or whoever was an official and was abused and or beat up. And then this is. This is actually a really good thing. So, so I, this I, so that I just kind of did. A, I guess with with a new law, I, I would say there are two two things. And one, you just started a touch on, and I want to hit a little bit more. What the response is, and then two, what and how how you can enforce it. What yeah. is so when you take a macro look at it, you're seeing all these different types of response. Is there a prevalent response where uh, everyone says this is good or bad? And then sub question: Is this you know, is the response really like, well, everyone else should just get their stuff together, but I know I'm okay, which is how generally most people just, you know, everyone's a bad driver and I'm a great one. Well, this is the thing. The first thing is that, I mean, we have a, a very conservative legislator in Louisiana, number one. And, and I do believe in the House and the Senate this past almost, I mean, pretty much unanimously, there were very few that voted against the bill. Um, I don't know the exact numbers. Um, so the, the elected collective response was very favorable of this legislation, number one, but in terms of the public response, I, I mean, everybody that I've talked to kind of in informal conversations, like, oh, that's a really good idea. And that's really good. People shouldn't behave that way. But then when you read, you know, those behind the screen responses, it's like the government shouldn't get involved, um, you know, all those kind of things. So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic and I'm very interested, like I said, to see how this plays out. This is, it's always interesting that, you know, you, you never want government overreach. Uh, but yeah. then, you know what, like the, there's a reason why it has to come out. And so it's like, you know, exactly. It protects you from your worst possible. Self, yeah. So what they say, and there, and there are 21 States that have laws, um, protecting officials in place, but this one I believe is the first that extends to verbal and physical abuse. And so, so enforcement, you don't have a, a police officer at every game. Um, yeah. So what? The ref can just pause the game, call the cops, say this person 
you know, said bad thing. Yes. And the cop can just arrest them and put them in jail. Yeah. And then the cop, I believe, makes the decision, the ultimate last sort of decision. Um, but the official has more power to, I guess, dictate what happens. It would be interesting to see how, I mean, you get, especially when you get to the higher income kids and you get a rich dad who's got lawyer buddies. Uh, yep. How this is even going to be able to be held up. Exactly. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. That's going to be fun to watch. And and also another thing too is that these problems with behaviors, um, you know, with of the parents. Interestingly enough, in Louisiana, they do they don't transcend. You know, it's not as specific as it. It's not urban. It's not rural. It's not poor schools. It's not wealthy schools. It's not private. It's not public. It's pretty much across the board, which is really interesting. It's because parents are obnoxious. This is why nobody wants to be a teacher. <laughs> nobody wants to be a teacher. I, I've got siblings and cousins who are teachers, and, and I, I could probably name every teacher I know. I would say, what's the worst part about teaching? And I don't think uh-huh. any teacher out there would say anything except for the parents. Yeah. And that's unfortunately – so But basically what my, re- my research is looking at is, is how – can we create a more positive experience and minimize these types of negative interactions so that's, in terms of youth sports? That's interesting. So how do you, how, you know, what solutions are, are able to be there going forward, right? So like when going back to the soccer thing, you know, parents are investing all this money for kids in camps and everything else. But in Europe, the teams pay for everything. And they, they, yeah, exactly. The kids are like six or eight years old, and you say, You're coming to our schools, and we're going to pay for everything. And, you know, basically, we own you. Um, and it's a different type of pressure, but they pay for everything. Is that, you know, something that that the United States needs to go into uh, across all sports where teams need to have these development academies? You know, in soccer, um, we're seeing sort of that. You're right. We are seeing that occur. And I think that I haven't had a chance to really look at all the major league soccer affiliates at um, collectively. But I know here in our local area um, in Louisiana, where I live, um, the Houston Dynamo has a junior affiliate. And I mean, I think our average income, family income is about $35,000 a year in this area. And the Dynamo charges, you know, if you think, I think their base fee for uniform and training at the elite level is about $2,000 a year. Um, wow. And that doesn't include travel expenses for hotels. So, I mean, you look at just the amount of income you're spending, a family would potentially spend, and that's $35,000 you know, total income. That's not what they take home a year. Right, right, um, right. And then – and then on top of that, you know, I know out West, there are some schools that, uh, I mean, some uh, clubs that like, I know Real Salt Lake has started a charter school and it's a public charter school and they have some, a portion of the school is, is devoted to players in their academy system who go to a public charter school, but obviously it's a tuition free school. It's on their campus. Um, of their, their training complex. So that space is being utilized. And also I've heard through the grapevine, but I can't really confirm this, but I know some of the other junior affiliates across the country um, really have minimized the cost to those who play in their, 
kind of developmental programs. So it's really kind of a, and I know that they give a lot of the of autonomy to those local affiliates, um, you know, the Chicago fire juniors or, you know, like in new Orleans, there's a, there's a, a, a Chicago fire affiliate. And then we have the a Houston dynamo affiliate here in the Lafayette area. So it's really interesting. And I, and I kind of, I think that's something that MLS is grappling with, especially as they're looking at kind of the growth of the sport, but also the pocketbooks and seeing, you know, what can we do and how can we grow the game and not only that, but our organization. Because it's expensive. And when you, uh, to make an investment in a child where you don't know what's going to happen to them. I mean, you, you have to start at a young age to get that return. It's the same thing. And so now you've got business owners investing in children, but they're also shifting some of the cost onto the parents. So it's almost like, you know, you've got like Uber saying you have to maintain your car and everything else. And you do all the driving and we'll just give you a fee to do it all. We're going to push all the expenses on you and we're just going to take a cut. Um, Exactly. Is that, is that the future of sports? I don't know. I, I would hope not, but we'll have to see. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, so, so yeah. back to so now back to the aces, which you mentioned at the at the beginning, right? So we could take. So yeah. there are a lot of reasons why parents put the pressure on their kids. Um, yeah, and you know, from a macro perspective, we can name it. But each individual parent's going to be different. Maybe it's part because we're investing all this money. I want to return. Maybe it's you know, maybe that return is going to be a college scholarship. Maybe I expect X, Y, Z. Um, but your work also talks about you know what? Maybe the way I'm treating my children is based on some emotional trauma I had as a child. Exactly. And is and and what? Go ahead and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, just basically kind of there's been a lot of research and education in other fields on adverse childhood experiences. And those are things like basically was a child abused continuously or were they neglected emotionally or physically, um, you know, divorce in the family. What they're actually finding now is that basically when you're when your body goes into experiences, these things as a child you go into significant overdrive and there's lots of brain physiology and things like that that go into it. But basically your body goes into overdrive. And what happens is your body, your cognitive abilities are actually affected by that. Your stress responses are affected by that. And unfortunately, if we don't, if, if we go by what we've learned and we don't unlearn those things, one of the things that can happen is that can kind of be revealed in our, in a specific context, like, how we behave towards our children in sports. So basically there's a lot of variables at play. Um, but more or less what I want to explore is, is there a relationship between those two, those, um, adverse childhood experiences like, um, with sports, I, 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 my tendency is that there might be, and that's really what I'm curious to explore. Um, because it's really been, cause now even medical doctors are screening children for adverse childhood experiences and recognizing that those experiences impact the physiology and the biology of a young person and not just, you know, not just treating the symptoms, but treating a larger problem and seeing, you know, can they work with therapists and other, other folks, or is there something physiologically they can address to, 
help with those, you know, a symptom that is like of a chronic behavior um, and things like that. So it's really, really interesting. And so what, well, so how, I guess how would, so when you think of emotional abuse, physical abuse, home dysfunction, sexual abuse, whatever it is, you think about, you Uh know, pretty blatant stuff. Okay. Um, that, Uh you know, you've been scarred in some particular way and it's, it's very serious and many people need therapy and, and it needs to be resolved. What about those people that are on the fringe where maybe it was just the way that the family operated where, you know, what? maybe, maybe the family was super competitive and that's just the way that we are, but it, it had some, some adverse childhood experience where it was a little, just too much. How do you know that you actually had one of these experiences and you're pushing this onto your kids? Well, I think there's, there certainly is an inventory um, there's a, there's a couple of different inventories that are about 10 questions related to ACEs that, you know, really, I mean, you can go to just about any website and find them and check them out and look at it. But the research shows that, um, the more adverse childhood experiences you have, um, the greater you are to have health issues and risks, um, you know, stress related risks, those kind of things. Um, so I think that more than anything, it's it's just about trying to understand it. Is there really a connection? And, and and you're right. You said you know you mentioned competitive families. I mean, was the level of stress so high that it caused you know a negative experience? Was it constant, or was it just kind of occasional? You know, grumbling or you know in the home, those kind of things. So I think that's that's really what. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, you're touching on kind of what I'm trying to get to kind of at a larger level. And I feel like a lot of this is going to be, you know, in order to be a good parent to your children, you have to figure yourself out first to make sure that you're getting exactly. the best to that child. Um, yeah, I'm going to be interested. And so have you learned anything, any, you know, ramifications on this? I guess this would have ramifications, not just on parent child relationships, but you know what boss and worker be. Or um, other types of relationships on how, you know, how do my adverse child relationships affect me and authority? Not just necessarily how I input my authority and push it on other people, but how I interact with other people, not just children. Yeah, there's a, you know, I haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but I'm, I'm, I I certainly will be sharing my findings and, and looking at those relationships deeper. That's great. I can't, I can't wait to hear. I mean, I think this stuff is awesome. The, the, the ramifications of it and the information that comes from it is, is it's just a really unique way to look at this information through a lens of, you know, parents and childs and children and sports, which everybody, I mean, just about everybody has played a sport at least once in their lives. So they know, uh, and they, and they could look at it through this lens and then they could, they can apply it to their, to their specific um, to their specific situation. What can people do, uh, to help or support you as you're doing this research? Well, I think, um, more than anything, I I mean, I am looking for funders. (laughs) That's one thing that definitely, um, and I really would like to collaborate with not just, um, you know, child supporting organizations, but medical organizations. And, and really, I think it's just a matter of getting this research out and really 
disseminating it and seeing what's the best way to disseminate it. So really that's what I'm looking for. Um, I've, I've in the process right now of working with a potential funder that is giving me more, more or less a platform to do it, not necessarily funds to do my research. Um, you know, if there's anybody out there that is interested in supporting somebody who does this kind of research, I am definitely interested in hearing more. Um, but I think right now it's just about getting the kind of things like this, just talking about it and seeing, creating a platform to do it rather than sort of the funding to do it right now. But again, like I said, the funding would be certainly helpful always. Um, to a PhD student. Money is always welcome <laughs> so, to, a, to a student, I'm sure. Um, exactly. We always wrap up with a book recommendation. Do you have a book recommendation? Any book at all. It doesn't even have to be on this topic. But what book can you recommend for people that either you're reading now or that you love or uh, anything book-wise? I actually just read one. Um, it's called – I have to um, – Nadine. it's by Nadine um, Burke Harris and um, – yeah, it's it's called the deepest well by Nadine Burke Harris. Um, it's about um, it's about it's a medical doctor in San Francisco, and she was working at a community health clinic, and she talks about how she wasn't trained in adverse childhood experiences, but how she saw over and over evidence of adverse childhood experiences coming into her practice and how adopting that framework really changed how she delivered medical care. And I think that that's something that's really been an inspiration to me. Um, I actually just, I actually just finished reading it in a couple of weeks ago and I'm, I'm in a class, my last class of my PhD program, I'm in it right now. And that's one of the textbooks that we have. Um, it's a very good read. It's, 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 it's a, it's kind of, it's got some tough stuff in there, but it's, it's, it's about a 200 and some page book. So it's not really, huge and it's you know it's 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 a good read and i think it really kind of introduces people to this whole idea of adverse childhood experiences yeah that's interesting because it's just it's not something especially you know for me i'm sure i had them but i never think about correct you know, adverse childhood experiences or anything you don't even really think that that's a thing unless you had you know particular trauma um, exactly but there are things that could affect you that's great any exactly. final thoughts before we let you go I just, um, I'm really excited that I had the opportunity and also just to really, um, just let's, let's take a different way of looking at sports and seeing how, I mean, the bottom line is we want kids to play sports and gain those outcomes, the positive outcomes. And we just might need to push the reset button in, in terms of how we look at it and look at the problem deeper, but also more than anything, we need to look at how our parents, um, can, can behave differently beautiful all right jerry thank you so much for your time this is a fascinating topic i can't 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 wait to see some more (laughs) of the research and and see what comes out of it so uh thank you for your time today and uh information on jerry uh if you want to fund him uh if you have connections for uh for him uh i will put contact info on the website bellwetherhub.com and you can reach out to uh jerry directly and and let's get him just tons of money and that would be uh fantastic i think this is an important uh important topic so thank you jerry thank you very much and thank you everybody uh thank you everybody for listening and i will see you next time on bellwether hub thanks for listening thank you so much for listening now do something for yourself bellwether is much more than just a podcast 
Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Thank you.